second of three podcasts, Barbara Laskin continues her conversation with our NEC dance producer, Kathy Levy. Happy listening. So let's talk a little bit about Kathy and let's talk about uh, all the different things you've done. Did you plan your career? Well, I don't think I planned to be the dance producer at the National Arts Centre, but I certainly knew somehow instinctively from a very early age that this field was where I was going to be. Um, you know, I, I've i told this story before, but I, I continue to marvel at how dance in some ways was a real saving grace for me. It was a place of great, great escape, great confidence when I was a kid. Things weren't always, uh, you know, as pleasant uh, during my parents' divorce. And it was, uh, it, going to my dance class was, I mean, I'm not singing the blues here. It was, it was mm-hmm. you know, a, a good family and, and, and I was in, in no way neglected. But going to the dance studio was a place uh, where I could just be anybody and, and have a lot of safety. And I had a fantastic, fantastic mentor who really took a lot of maternal interest in me because she saw that things were a bit rough at home. She knew my older sisters, my younger sisters. She's actually, she was actually a very well-known Montreal woman, uh, Elsie Solomon, who was the aunt of Judith Marcuse, who went on to be a very important dancer and choreographer um, in Vancouver. And Elsie, uh, I started going to Elsie when I was three and a half years old. My mm-hmm. my mom is a big ballet main still to this day at her, at her ripe age. And she got me into creative movement classes with Elsie. And I think that that was always something that really just made me happy, always. Mm-hmm. And when I was 14 or 15, Elsie uh, got me into the Banff Center, uh, the Banff School of Fine Arts, which, you know, by all accounts, I should never have gotten into because I'd never done a <laughs> ballet class in my life. And there I was with all the bunheads uh, and um, physically quite different <laughs> looking than most of the people in the class. Um, and uh, she also was the person who, you know, saw in me this interest in mentoring and teaching myself. And so she got me in to help her with the young kids, you know, when they were the three and four and five-year-olds. And I just, I guess, had a sense in my teenage years from going to see dance a lot, again, with my mum. My mum took me to see Margot Fontaine and Rudolf Nureyev <laughs> do Romeo and Juliet when the Royal Ballet came to Montreal oh, in the early 60s. Wonder. And I think I remember it completely. You know, oh, I was very young, well, but I, I just was, have... I was in Toronto then, and I remember it absolutely. It's incredible. Oh, I just, yes. just, I remember the tingling sensation I had. fabulous. Yeah, and my mother, as I say, took me to a lot of dance um, and orchestra, but uh, certainly uh-huh. a lot of anything to do with the ballet at that time. Of course, there wasn't a lot of contemporary dance in Montreal in those days. But, but I think that I just knew somewhere that something was my calling in this field. Mm. And I knew I wasn't a performer. Um, Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew I wasn't a performer primarily because physically I was so not... You know, skinny and flat-chested. Well, <laughs> like it just wasn't the case uh, in those days. Right? I think. I think had were it today, I think you might have a different reaction. Perhaps, but you know, yeah. I'm talking about those days, yeah. right? I yeah. auditioned for the dance program at York, and yeah. they basically said, "Thank you, dear." And then I <laughs> and then I applied for the dance program at the University of Waterloo, and I had seen this wonderful film that Elsie had shown me actually about this woman. I don't remember her name, who was a therapist, a dance therapist for autistic children. 
And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. I love working with kids. And, you know, I'd been, as I say, sort of apprenticing with Elsie with the younger kids at her studio. And wow, that's so interesting. And Elsie wrote me a great letter of recommendation for the university. And I had this training behind me with Banff. And so I thought, oh, maybe that's that's it. And of course, about three weeks into being at the university, taking Jeff Butler's, the late Jeff Butler's theater course and learning how to, you know, hang lights and call shows and publicity and gels. I mean, I just said, oh, I just got to be backstage. I just love it. I'll be a therapist later. You know, in my old age, I'll be a therapist. But just getting into the theater, I was just pumped. And so very early on in my in my university life in uh, in Waterloo, when I was actually, you know, helping out with the student show, and I did perform in the student show. But again, I knew that performing wasn't my calling. I was, you know, just, it just wasn't. But I loved choreography class. I mean, I had, you know, Judy Jarvis was teaching us at the time, and Lois Smith was teaching us ballet, and Jeff Butler, as I mentioned, and and Jill Officer, fantastic ballet historian, was telling us these stories about Diaghilev. And I thought, aha, Uh, that's it. I'm going to be Sergei Diaghilev, Canadian female style. I think you are. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I ever sort of discovered the next Stravinsky or the next um, Fokine, but... But I just, you know, very quickly in that with those people around me and recognizing that I loved this art form and that I had a particular ability to put things together. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I loved being on the top of a ladder, but I knew I wasn't going to be a technical person forever. It just all kind of gelled, really. I think by the end of my first term at Waterloo, I just sort of had this sense that I was on this road to being... Somehow, an impresario. Because I think so many parents worry when they see their kids go into dance that it's going to be such a limiting career. And it's interesting to me that you saw the possibilities for different, to to approach it from different angles, if you will. I think that's what Waterloo. I think that's what Waterloo did for people. It's so Mm -hmm. sad that that program doesn't exist because Mm -hmm. I mean, people went there. It was it was a place for you know in some ways it was like the non-performers like all the kids who didn't get into York but uh-huh. I mean when you think about the people who came out of there phenomenal uh, you know who are now really major teachers at various institutions who are sports therapists I mean we were we were part of the kinesiology department we took anatomy and biomechanics and you know physiology and we were in there to find ways to take this very important movement-based art form into a number of different careers. And I think that was the the foresight of people like Ruth and and others that I've mentioned uh, to really, you know, theater administration. I mean, ha- you know, there's mm-hmm. not, we, it, Waterloo was one of the first. I yes. think Simon Fraser was the only other one at that time. Yes. Um, in fact, I finished my degree at Simon Fraser because it was sort of a partner uh-huh. a partner program. And by then I had sort of gotten addicted to Vancouver. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Easy to do. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was, it was, I think it was really because of those people who mm. believed in the possibilities that people like me and many others, I mean, we were only nine people in the, in the dance department at the time, but I would guess, I don't know where everybody is, but I would guess that seven mm-hmm. out of nine of them are still somehow mm-hmm. in dance. So how do you train to be a dance producer? Because you've come up, you've done a lot of different things in dance. You've been an administrator and you've been a publicist and you've been a festival producer, which is another one of our interactions. Um, how do you train to be a producer? Well, f- for me, it was I- exposure. It was aligning myself with people who were running events and running venues that I felt I could learn from. So I came out of university. My last year of university, I did over the course of 
a year and a half because, as I mentioned, I went out to Vancouver. So they allowed me, because I'd done all my core courses, they allowed me to be at Simon Fraser as a visiting student. And I got a job immediately working with a dance company. And it was on one of these, you know, OFY grants that used to be around in the uh, mm-hmm. in the late 70s. Was that Wyman? Was that it, no, Wyman? it was Mountain Dance Theater. Oh, Mountain Dance Maureen Theater. Maureen Allen. Yes. And, uh, you know, I was the witch in the in their Wizard of Oz production, for gosh <laughs> sakes. And I was, you know, driving the van. And, so you did and get put, to perform. Oh, I did perform. <laughs> I performed the witch. You know, as long as, they didn't, as long as they didn't have to sort of dress me in a leotard, I was fine. Um, and, you know, I think that that was it, is that I realized I started writing about dance. I... I've never been a general manager of a dance company. That never really attracted me, the whole idea mm-hmm. of being being the office person. All, you know, not that yes. that's not an extremely important role, but I recognized that those skills were someone else's and not mine. But I think I soon realized that, uh, you know, I I had certain passion for the, for the art form that could be well transformed. I was a good organizer. Uh, I cared desperately about artists. And yep. again, it really was being in the field. Okay. And then, of course, I got my grant, which, you know, I thank you for, uh, <laughs> to go to New York dance and study workshop. dance theater workshop. And, mm-hmm. of course, that really, uh, that mm-hmm. was in 1985. And that really turned the that corner. That was a because turning there, point. Of course, yes. because there you are yep. studying under, you know, one of the great producers and hanging out with a number of other great producers. Yep. And uh Soaking it up, you're those a sponge. Were, those were wonderful years, too. Incredible. Great years to be in New York and yeah. to be seeing all of the contemporary dances as it was exploding all around us. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bought standing room only tickets because the Canada Council grants didn't go that far in those <laughs> Sorry days. Sorry about that. Well, you know, a thousand a thousand dollars a month was seven hundred American. <laughs> yes, in those exactly. Days. But I bought standing room only tickets. I went to the I went to the theater every night. Yeah. I mean, really, I just I was a sponge. Huh. So that's how you train. You hang out. So, and you so tell me, for, for people who will be listening to this, um, you know, they haven't all spent their lives immersed in this, in this discipline. What is it exactly to be a producer? What do you do? What, how, do how does your day unfold? Well, I, I, I used to say when I was running the Canada Dance Festival, I said that producing the Canada Dance Festival is really only three things. Choosing the artists, finding the money, and then climbing the walls. Um, of course, choosing the artists is a huge part of what I do. I... I'm constantly going to performances. I'm constantly looking at artistic proposals. I get, I must get uh, 30 artistic proposals a week, just out of the blue, people who are desperate to perform. There are way too few of me and way more of them. Um, and I wish there were more presenters and more money to present dance because there's certainly a great deal of artists who don't have opportunities yet and should. Um, so I spend a lot of my day looking at videos. I travel a lot. I go to see work. I talk to artists. I go to meetings, uh, you know, and listen to artists talk about their work. Um, I am always doing what I've come to call tracking. I have a very long list of artists that I follow. Uh, I try to see their work if I haven't seen it. I try to see their new work if I've already presented them and I might want to present them again. Um, so this is where the travel comes in. That's presumably. right. Exactly. Um, I don't, uh, you know, obviously I have to manage a budget and, you know, the finding the money part of that uh-huh. of that three-pronged, uh, three-pronged story is a big part. You have to be able to uh, bring artists that you can afford and know that you're going to have at least some sense of people being interested in them so that people will, you know, support the work and buy tickets and come because it always is a, uh-huh. it's, you know, it's it's not rocket science. It, you, you're, you're putting faith in your ability to choose and faith in the fact that the audience is going to care. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then all of the other logistics that come along with it. Sometimes it's, you know, I spend a lot of my day being almost a tour 
coordinator. I get on the phone with other presenters who I know have a mutual interest. You know, right now, for example, I'm working on bringing a Maori artist um, wow. from, from New Zealand, New Zealand oh. who's never been in, in uh, Canada, who I heard about through a, an American colleague about three or four years ago. I went to see one of his pieces last year. I went to see another one of his pieces this past summer. You know, I've met the artist several times. We've been talking about it. I'm trying to bring the artist. I then, you know, found out that there were a couple of people who were going to see the artist at the Edinburgh Festival. So I got in touch with my Canadian compatriots. And, you know, I'm like saying, okay, I can do this week. Can you do that week? I spent a lot of my time doing that. Um, and trying to get interest because gone are the days when I can just bring, uh, you know, a 15-member company from the Samoan Islands to Ottawa <laughs> and then send them home. By yourself. You, by yes. myself. Yes. So, yes. you know. Well, this is an yeah. aspect that I think a lot of people don't don't necessarily know about is is all of the partnerships that you have with colleagues around the world. So talk to us a little bit about oh, that. Oh, it's part of the vitality of my job. It's one of the things I love the most. I mean, I'm on the phone all the time with uh, the dance program at the Joyce Theater in New York, the dance program at the Wexner Center in Columbus, Ohio, the dance program, or the, the not just dance programmers, these are programmers. Uh, in other words, they do dance, theater, and music. Uh, Philip Bither in uh, the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis, uh, my friends at the Pittsburgh Dance Council, of course, Toronto Harborfront Center, several different presenters in Montreal, Danse Danse, La Gorée de la Danse, all these people. My colleagues in the Can Dance Network across Canada, more of whom are starting to do uh, work from outside of the country. Uh, the Canada Dance Festival, which I used to run and now of course I'm still a major partner all of these people ev I don't go through a day without speaking to at least one if not three or four of them emails constantly back and forth are you interested in this or am I interested in that um, you know it, it, it happens all the time because if we don't create those partnerships if we don't have that ability to um, provide those opportunities for an artist a most of us won't be able to afford to bring the artist and b the artist won't know where to go um, right. so you know I mean of course big companies that can afford to have tour managers and agents and have been around for a long time have a different relationship to the field, if you will. But artists that are new to newer, you know, especially North America, I mean, it's very easy to find your way around Europe because there's so many dance producers and so many major halls. But North America, there's not that many of us working in Canada and only a few more really serious presenters working in the States. Yeah, yeah. So... Getting to the program and how you put a season together, you're talking to your colleagues, you're looking at work. Um, what's your starting point? Is it is it your own personal taste? Well, at the end of the day, I want to be able to defend all my choices. So I want to like everything I'm bringing. Certainly, I recognize that my, you know, my secret own personal taste might be to watch, you know, Bill Forsyth for the next three months of my <laughs> life and my audience is not going to watch Bill Forsyth for the next three months of our life. So yes, it's my taste. It's also my taste mixed with understanding my market, understanding my audience to the best of, you know, to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. And, um, because there's a lot of things you're balancing, eh? Exactly. You have to find a balance between classical and contemporary, between Canadian and international. How do you do that, for example? What do you feel your mission is in terms of presenting Canadian work? Well, I do support a lot of Canadian artists, and I co-produce and co-commission a lot of their work. I don't necessarily show a lot of that work during the season because, of course, we've got this very important partnership with the Canada Dance Festival, which is a solely Canadian showcase. So I have an opportunity to support Canadian artists, but then 
get them presented at the Canada Dance Festival. And that's just a, a real conversation with the artistic director of the CDF and making sure that, you know, if we're both interested in an artist that I know that they're going to get presented at the festival. So it's right. like, okay, I don't have to worry about that artist taking up that slot on my season. Right. I do see my season as being more international than Canadian. Okay. But, but because I have the Canada Dance Festival um, and because I have an opportunity to bring in artists from outside of the country to give both our Canadian artists and our audience a perspective on what's going on and hopefully influence uh, their their exposure to work from outside. I mean, you know, we started a few years ago um, bringing together a group of nine choreographers from Canada and formed them into a group called the Associate Dance Artists. And these nine choreographers are all senior choreographers with whom the National Arts Centre has had a very long relationship. And we basically made it a really simple mandate. We we're going to bring as many of you as possible to Ottawa to see the big international companies that are not touring the country, to get you to meet those artists, to meet their dancers, to hang out, to see the work, to discuss the work, and also amongst yourselves to discuss what your realities are. And we've been doing this for a couple of years now, and we're going to um, expand this group next year. And that's a really big contribution, I think, that we can make to Canadians. Because you're the National Arts Centre and you can play that Sort play of that unifying role. role exactly and also because the work is not traveling yeah i mean maybe it's going to montreal maybe it's going to toronto but beyond that it's not traveling and so, why is it not traveling? well because yeah. it's you know it's a lack of money and a lack of presenters i mean there are now more which is great mm -hmm. but you know and mm -hmm. it's just starting so you know not you <laughs> it's know, been you, just starting for 30 years i think well you know oh, touring dear. of canadian it's, work it's is become is, so much more difficult yeah i mean it? look at some of the major companies in canada they barely uh -huh. tour in canada is it the is it the the old uh, saw that's usually attributed to mackenzie king just too much geography i think that that's part of it um i also think that um you know i think that there's a big gap between toronto and vancouver in terms of major venues to yes. present major work. Not that yes. there aren't really important dance presenters working in Calgary and Regina, but they aren't presenting work of scale. So when you think about Forsyth or Pina Bausch or the Kirov, I mean, now the Kirov is going back into Toronto, but you know that that's caused a, a bit of a foo because of the National Ballet and, and the Sony Centre. But, you know, it's been a long time since work of that scale has been able to tour. I think that's the real difference is uh -huh. that it's, it's, it's fine for small and mid-scale work. Yes. But work of scale that takes a lot of money, that takes a lot of cargo, that takes a lot right. of international flights, right. that work has been harder to tour. Okay. So you've, I think you've responded really interestingly to that challenge. I think you've kind of, ex you, you've interpreted the mandate here in a very broad way, huh? through having these resident artists and, and seeing yourself playing a role in terms of stimulating and, and expanding the knowledge of the artists working here. I don't think that anybody's keeping a scorecard of how many international and how many Canadian artists I bring. I don't think that I would ever do a season with no Canadian artists. First of all, we have a commitment uh, as resident ballet companies to have a constant presence of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet and the National Ballet, which so far has not been challenged. Right. So they are always a part of my ballet series and, you know, so far so good with that. But I don't think that anyone's keeping score, but I think that what's important is for people to understand what we're doing behind the scenes, you know, the investment well, in co-productions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and certainly, although I have invested 
um, a bit of money into international co-productions, my priority is Canadian artists. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't mean that we always present them. And also, I think if an artist comes to the Canada Dance Festival, it doesn't make sense for that person to also then come right away to my season. Because, you know, I have limited slots and they have limited slots, so let's give the artist one or the other. And there's a limited audience. It's a small city, you know, For in that way. Still a million people. It's been a million people for many years. And we want to build um, audiences for a variety of artists. So I think that the mandate is really about presenting a balance. You, you, you mentioned the word balance before, and that is really mm-hmm. the word of my day. Mm-hmm. In, it's in my personal life and in my working life, finding a balance. Because I know that things like Swan Lake and the Nutcracker help me to do Lemmy Ponifacio and Akram Khan. Yeah. And I think that that's right. fine. So how much do you push? How much, much do you, how much do you want to stretch <laughs> your audience? As much as I can. Jerome Bell still holds the record of the most complaint letters, and that's four, <laughs> and that's fourteen. That's it. That's it. So you know, fourteen complaint letters. I got six complaint letters for the National Ballet the other day. So really? you know, I think that we always push. I wouldn't give my audience five Series B choices that were all Jerome Bell. Yes. But I'm not going to give them five Series B choices that are all hip hop or tango either. Uh-huh. Of course, I continue to push. If the artists are continuing to push, it's my responsibility to continue to show what they're doing. Fabulous. Did you, you, you mentioned a, a little while ago, um, someone who I consider to be an absolutely phenomenal figure in the history of dance, and that's Diaghilev. And Diaghilev and that whole period is so rich and so wonderful. Um, he's an impresario. Are you an impresario as well? I don't think that the the term means the same now. I think as an impresario, he really filled this very social role of um, not only bringing artists together, but bringing patrons in for the art form and creating um, a, a, a certain... Um, relationship between the audience and the artist that was very uh, of the time. Um, you know, I think Saul Hurok was called an impresario as well. He was a great promoter. I think probably now to call me a producer or a programmer or a promoter, promoter sounds more like all you do is marketing. I don't, yes. not sure that term is necessarily the right way. But I think, I guess, am I a modern day impresario? I, maybe. But I don't do enough of I don't have an, enough of an opportunity to find ways for artist X to work with artist Y. Okay. And I, I wish wanna, I could do more. I want to talk about that because yeah. I know you've done a certain amount of that. I'd love and to. And I more. know that you have the ability to be extremely creative in that Thank you. in that <laughs> way. I mean, we saw it when you were at the Canada Dance Festival. You would put interesting artists together, or you would put an artist with a composer, or you would build an evening that nobody had thought of, but you had thought of it. So what are the opportunities to do that here? And that's one question. And the second question is, if you had totally unfettered ability to do that and you know, money was no object, what, what sort of an evening would you do? What sort of a presentations would you do? Well, the opportunities to do it are there, but they're minimal. I have certainly put on some shared shows before, mm-hmm. um, and I've had to go to those two artists, for example, and said, I would really like, you've, you've each got a really wonderful 45-minute or 50-minute show. That's not quite long enough for me to put on as a full evening. What about sharing here? And I've, you know, given each of them DVDs of the other work, yeah. and, you know, and they've basically 
said to me, thankfully, we trust you, we'll do it. And I've done that a couple of times, and I think it's uh-huh. been a really interesting experiment. I have had a dream for a few years of actually doing a week-long series like that in the studio of new voices. I think that would be great. It's a money problem. It's not cheap to bring three different artists from three different parts of the world um, and have them here for a whole week. You know, it's it's just, I, I had a partner in Montreal who would have done it with me, and then unfortunately the recession hit and... and the partner had to bow out, and I still am saying to the partner, together we could do this. If I had one other partner, I could do it. Um, because immediately when you're sharing all those, you know, you're talking about all of a sudden having potentially 10, 12 people around for a week as opposed to a couple yeah. of days. And it just, it's just the, mecha- the, 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 the sheer numbers of it have just become mm-hmm. a bit more prohibitive. So I'm still working on that. That's mm-hmm. something I absolutely want to do. And then the, the second part of your question, you know, if, the, if there was... No, if money was no object, were no object, the two things I would do would be, one, to um, really have more opportunities for creation residencies. Right now, we're able to offer a couple of artists a year what I call production residencies, which is we can give some, particularly our Canadian artists and our co-productions, extra time in the venue the theater venue with our technical staff leading up to their presentation. So, you know, normally an artist would come in and have one full day of technical time plus the next day and then the show. Mm-hmm. We're able in a few cases to bring the artist in and give them three days in the theater plus the day of the show. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a very that expensive a proposition. Yeah. Yeah. We've got an expensive crew, you know, mm-hmm. but for the artist, it's just a, a huge gift. Oh, it's a dream. So what I would like to do more of is the first part of that, which is creation residencies, offer artists an opportunity to come to Ottawa, be in a studio and play and make work and, you know, discuss with them who they'd like to work with from a comp- uh, for a composer or designer and create an opportunity. And what that takes is space, which is somewhat limited here, but who knows, one day maybe we'll have it, and um, and financial support, again. So um, these are that, that I think, would be something I'd love to do more of. And then th- th- those two things could feed into each other. If you're supporting artists in creation residencies uh, for a few weeks to actually, which is, by the way, something that happens all over Europe. I mean, this is something that, and, and, and a little bit in Montreal. There are a couple of presenters who can do this in Montreal, using, say, La Corée de la Danse. It, it, it's happening in Canada yes. a little bit. Um, if we had the space to do that, uh, I would like to do that. And then that work eventually can feed into work that's then shown on our season or not. But it's a huge contribution that we could make We could make to the artists. So those are the two things I'd like to do more of. Well, and to the art form. When you think of Diaghilev and you think of the collaborations that he fostered, you know, Stravinsky and Nijinsky and Bakht and all of these people, uh, would, that, would it be possible to do something like that? Or is that just from a bygone era? I think it would be possible to do a version of it of the 21st century, mm-hmm. absolutely. Les Ballets Russes. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I mean, of course, that was of its time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, much like, much like many artists were of their time, but then mm-hmm. let's look at who we have today, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think it would absolutely be possible mm-hmm. to do that. I think that there are some fantastic examples of, um, you know, uh, centre choreographique that exist all over France and, and wonderful festivals. I mean, the other thing is that a festival provides a particular kind of opportunity that a season does not. There are different opportunities. But you look around the world and a lot of these festivals have those kinds of parallel elements, um, residencies and creation and bringing together those Mm -hmm. fantastic people. Now, 
are those people that are going to become as household a name as, um, you know, Stravinsky eventually did? I don't know. But let's remember that Stravinsky, you know, people threw things at the stage (laughs) when that music first premiered. Absolutely. So, sure, um, you know, is Damien Hirst going to be, you know, was he always revered? I mean, we could probably pick out a number of artists Mm -hmm. from from today's era. You know, when Merce Cunningham first came on the scene, people didn't know what to make of it. And now, you know, having passed away last year, we're still, you know, celebrating him as one of the iconic figures in contemporary dance. So Mm. maybe it's hard to know now who 20 years from now we're going to be celebrating in that way but um i think it's possible just of course not the elite is different than it was then and the the sure. you know how, paris is not the same <laughs> how do you you must get a sense when you follow artists as you said you've done and you see new talent how do you know that that young talent is going to turn into something how did you know that crystal pite would become the talent that she's become I don't know if you know empirically, but you feel it in your gut. I mean, and Crystal Pite has lots of people who don't like her work. I I just think she is the real deal. I think she's a huge talent. And I don't know how I thought that. I saw the first piece I saw of hers was a piece, I think, called The Two Janes that she made on a regional ballet company that I brought to the Canada Dance Festival on an outdoor stage. I remember it. Um, and I just a little jewel. Exactly. Exactly. And you're going, okay, here I am watching this on an outdoor stage with no lights, you know, with a regional ballet company. And oh my God. So I don't, I don't think it's something that I said, oh, she has two of this and four of that. Therefore that equals a star. I think it's something that spoke to me. And I said, I'm the president of your fan club. (laughs) <laughs> Just like, that's it. I'm it. You know, what I'm a wonderful it. thing for an artist to hear. You know, and, and yeah. I felt that way about Akram Khan the first time yeah. I saw him do a yeah. solo work. And, you know, now, of course, I mean, I can barely, I can barely, uh, uh, you know, find enough time to bring Akram Khan because he's just so huge. And, and I mean, I felt that way about a number of people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's why, that's why I created, uh, you know, I've said to people, I'm with you for the long term. I can't mm. necessarily co-produce or present every single work because I don't have enough room in my season. Not that I wouldn't want to do twice as much as I already do. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. I'm on record for saying that. Let's do <laughs> let's do 40 dance performances a year, not just 20. But, you know, I I think that these are people for whom if I can do anything, it's mm-hmm. just throw them as much support as I can in terms of finances. Well, that, that's very resources. interesting because I've seen you develop relationship with certain artists. Um, to the benefit of your audience. I mean, it's enabled us to follow people that are well-received here. You know, it's like a novelist. When you when you find a good novelist, you want to read everything that they've written. Well, I just can't thank you enough for that comment because that, to me, is worth everything. Like, yeah. if, if more if people feel that way, like, I'm going to come see Akam Khan's new work because I've seen the other work. and Right. That's great. It's part of the trust thing, eh? I, mean, I hope We so. trust you to choose those people for us, but... But also, it's been very interesting watching the trajectory of some of these artists. And also, thank you for this one, uh, a relationship with someone like Pina Bausch. Yeah. You know, yeah. who, alas, is no more. But, uh, well, you, you know, know, the fact that you brought her back here and then cultivated this connection with the National Arts Centre was very special. It still is very special. I mean, it, that has taken an enormous amount of courtship. And, you know, I was in Wuppertal two weeks ago. I'm, Were you oh really? Yes. Okay. Oh and yes. what did you do two weeks ago in Wuppertal? I went to see a piece called Danzon, 
okay. which is um, a piece I had not seen with a mm -hmm. lot of her senior artists. And I met with the artistic directors and talked about potential future projects. And, you know, I think that um, I just need them to understand that the National Arts Centre has an ongoing interest in bringing the company. Uh, for as long as the company is going to be doing what they're doing, I want to be part of their plans. Mm -hmm. How and, fabulous. And I think that that's really important. You know, there's a couple of people that I missed, and I'm sorry about that. Who, who are they? Well, I don't think that the audience responded particularly well to Merce Cunningham's work. Mm. And he hadn't been here in 20 years. Mm -hmm. I brought him in 2005, mm -hmm. 2006. He had not been here since 1985. Uh -huh. And I think it was it was a mixed repertoire, repertoire evening on Series A. You know, it was, it was, I loved it. But I, I loved it. I remember we talked yeah. about it at the time. And so I've been a bit reticent. You know, I've been thinking about, okay, what's the right project? And then, you know, of course, yeah. one is aware of his mortality and he got older and I didn't find the right project. And the company is also a, a big company to bring. I mean, yes. And, a, and challenging a, work for people who don't know the context, eh? I think so. And, and... So that's that's unfortunate. I would have liked to bring more of that work, but mm -hmm. you know, I think, I mean, Forsyth. I never got to bring Frank for ballet. Oh well, there's one. I mean, we would all, I think, bow down if you could find a way to bring him here more. Well, often. I brought him in uh, 2007. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a really interesting experience, man. Oh man, I, can we? You want to yeah. talk about this? Yeah, one? absolutely. Well, just in terms of the, I mean, we are. I I would like to find the right project to bring back again. I mean, Bill has really left behind um, his approach to dance the way it was when he was making work for Frankfurt Ballet. And he has really become much more fascinated with and interested in a very different approach to the body, things that are much more theatrical, um, much more contemporary, often text-based, uh, less technical, um, more, he's m much more fascinated with installation-based work. I think he's a genius, but the work is not what it what it was. Certainly, certainly, um, it's informed. He's still the same artist. It's informed by that aesthetic. Right. So, how you present Bill's work now for me is very different. When he came in two thousand seven, we originally spoke about a Frankfurt Ballet-esque type of program. Yes. And along the way, and, and that's what we presented to our audience. Along the way, the needs of his company and the requests from other presenters changed, and he wasn't able to bring to us the repertory that we originally had agreed upon. And those changes in his plans came very late in the game. And it really wasn't until the company was here that I was able to see some of the work that he substituted for some of the original work. And I knew that putting this work on Series A in the big hall was a very different thing than putting the work that we had originally thought we were going to put on. Oh, boy. That's a problem. It was a problem. But you have to do it, right? I mean, I'm not going to say on Saturday afternoon to an artist, oops, sorry, the show's canceled. <laughs> yeah. So my in my discussions with the company after that, I basically said, I'm okay with it. I love Bill's work, and I'm fine to present it, but I need to know how to talk to the audience about it. And that's the key. There I need go. to know what's coming so that I can talk to the audience about yeah. it. And in fact, while he was here, 
He was incredible. He was our very it was our very first meeting of the associate dance artists. He was incredibly generous with the artists, um, and I took him over to see the theater because I think, in fact, his work would make more sense on Series B in the theater. The economics of that are very difficult, but the aesthetics of that make more sense. And he came and saw the space and loved it. And I think that what we will do is we are in discussion about a project with them um, down the road that would be in the theater. In the theater. I think it's much more appropriate. You see, that's another part of your role that I think people don't often understand or, or appreciate is the discernment to know where to put it, it where to put the work. It makes a difference. Of course. Because the Opera House, the Southern Hall, comes with so many expectations. It does. It does. It's so interesting. And, you know, Series A is the most tricky series for me to do. Yes. But, you know, you think about something like Bill Forsyth, and you think the work really is Series B type work. And I know instinctively what that means. Unfortunately, economics are Mm -hmm. such that, you know, an 800-seat hall versus a 2,000-seat hall are very different. However, that's what I'd like to Hmm. do is bring Bill back in that context because that's where he is now as an artist. And then his other work that he's making for Frankfurt, that he made for Frankfurt Ballet, he's now given a lot of that work to other major contemporary ballet companies. And that's That's how you can get it back. Royal Ballet of Flanders, we're talking to Ballet Opera de Lyon has, I mean, I just saw last month um, a beautiful soiree Forsyth with some of the work that, you know, is exactly the work that I would have hoped to have brought under that context. So that's the way I think to show that Frankfurt Ballet era. Yeah. That's all for this edition of NAC Dance Podcasts. Join us next time for part three of a conversation with Kathy Levy. Please send us your comments and questions. You can email us at nacpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nacpodcast.ca. There you will find past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, this is Alary Evans saying goodbye from Canada's NAC Dance.